Good morning, Iwoo. You know, my speech professor when I was in college had two rules that she just insisted on. One, she said, is never when you're speaking, hang on to the pulpit. So I've solved that by having a table instead of a pulpit. And the second, is, she said, is never begin your speech with an apology. But I'm going to break that rule. I'm sorry I do not have pews to crawl under today. Nor do I have a stunt double, so if you'll forgive me for that, we'll get going. And what I do have is a survey, and I want to take it among us right now. When it comes to ice cream, if you had to choose between chocolate and vanilla, those are your choices. How many of you are chocolate people? Let me hear you. Okay, how many of you are vanilla people? Actually, I think vanilla won, but it doesn't sound good. I'm a vanilla person. How about fast food? McDonald's and Burger King. How many for McDonald's? How many for Burger King? What do you think? I think McDonald's. My favorite fast food sandwich is a Big Mac, which I eat about twice a year because if you eat too many Big Macs, you get too big Mac. You know, here's the deal. Uh, vanilla or chocolate? not a moral choice there. There's not a wrong or wrong right or wrong choice. It's just a preference about the only way you can go wrong with ice cream is if you eat too much of it and then you have to buy a bigger pair of jeans. Same things with Burger King and McDonald's. Choose one or the other. It's not a moral choice. The only problem is if you eat too much of either one of those fat foods, you get fat. How do you make decisions? You're making them all the time. I was doing a little reading on that this week. How many decisions do you make in a typical day? One website says you make 5,000 decisions every single day. Another website says you make 30,000, and I can't quite figure that one out. There's got to be a lot of stuff going on in the background you never really even think about. But in any case, there are lots of choices you make, and the question is, how do you make them? I was doing a little reading, and there are a couple of psychologists at uh, Cal Poly out in California, and they've studied the decision-making process that goes on in our brain in the prefrontal cortex of our mind, and they say there are two networks that are, are happening that are competing at the same time, making decisions, making assessments, and leading you to the decision. And they're separate, but they're operating at the same time. Now, I want you to know right up front that I am not a doctor, and I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but I can read, so I'm going to report to you what they say. One of the networks they call the valuation network. It's, it's what attracts you. It's what, what entices you. It's the idea that says this tastes good, this feels good, this will be fun. It's what causes you when you go to Meyer to uh, hear the ice cream aisle calling your name. It's why when you're standing at the checkout line right there, they have all that candy that's not healthy for you, but they know it will call out your name and they hope it will entice you. The valuation network is, this sounds like fun. I think I will do it or this is important to me, so I will do it. I feel like it. At the same time, there is a, a cognitive uh, region that's going on where you're making decisions based on facts, based on your purpose in life, based on, on what you want to have happen that you have thought about. It's what allows you to get to the checkout line at Meyer without a cart full of junk food with, with, with some kind of healthy stuff. Actually, it's not just Meyer where it happens. It happened in your life this morning. 
at IWU, we do chapel because we think it's an important part of our spiritual formation process. And some of you love it, and you woke up this morning, and your evaluation network just says, I, I'm, I'm going to, we get to go to chapel today. Who's speaking? John's speaking. Good, you know. <laughs> but some of you woke up or sort of rolled over and opened your eyes. And yeah, and said, so what time is it? And you thought, you know, I'm getting an A in my first class. I can skip that 9 o'clock. Why don't I sleep through chapel too? That will feel good. And then your cognitive network kicked in. And you realize, I've already got five cuts. And I only have one more, and there are 13 chapels left. By the way, you may not have thought at that groggy state that there were 13 chapels left. But you know, we have several weeks left of school. And you think, I need to save this last one because I don't want to do makeups. And, and I may have some studying to do later on, so I'll go. Cognitive, in that case, one out over evaluation. And those things are both working in your brain all the time to help you make your decisions. So the question I have for us is how do we make decisions that get us to the end point of where we want to be with some degree of likelihood that we're going to be where we think we should actually be? Is there anything when it comes to spiritual decisions that might guide me? Now, if you've been to church long enough or chapel long enough, you know that the pastor will likely say, yes, there is. It's like the little boy who was in Sunday school and his teacher said, what's gray, has a bushy tail, lives in trees and eats acorns. Little boy raised his hands and he says, it sounds like a squirrel to me, but since this is Sunday school, the answer must be Jesus. (laughs) And for us as a speaker here, you say there's got to be some kind of spiritual answer, not just, gee, I hope your, your cognitive network is better than your evaluation network. What I would suggest to you is the Bible is central to our consideration of how we do life. It's God's word for our lives. The one who designed us, who knows how we were wired, who knows what will complete us best, loves us so much that he's given us his word as our guide and his Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives. And and so this is a pretty good place to begin I'd like to do that by reading to you from Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you want. You can click on your phones if you want. Um, The Bible is better for you than Angry Birds, so uh, let's give this a shot. Ephesians 4, verse 17. With the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Authentic Christianity has to connect to Christ And his plan for our lives, if it is going to be 
authentic. Paul says true Christians are supposed to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's God's plan. Now understand, Paul is writing to some people who are Jews. They were raised in the Jewish religious system. And their system of life was based on having a right standing with God by keeping rules. You kept this rule and that rule and another rule and another rule and another rule. And if you kept the rules well enough, you were righteous and Messiah would come. And Paul wrote to them in chapter 2 and said, You are not saved by your works, by keeping all the rules. You're saved by grace. It's the gift of God that he's poured out on your lives. And they needed to hear that. But here in chapter 4, he's writing to people who were not raised Jews. They were Gentiles. And their system of life was self-guided, chasing whatever they thought would bring them pleasure. They'd filled their lives with sin, and after a while, what they had filled their lives with didn't satisfy anymore, so they sinned more, and then they sinned more, and then they sinned more, and then they sinned more, until they were caught in sin. Not unlike our world today. There are lots of people chasing life without, chasing satisfaction in life without giving a single thought to God. Some of you may be that most of us would not be you chose a christian college for a reason and we're here and we have christ on our minds sometimes but not always this scripture is still for us because what i've noticed about a lot of people is we make the decision to say we're going to be a christian and yet we're not all in it's faith with reservations it's faith with room to play around to say i know i shouldn't but Some people are happy to ask Jesus to forgive them. They're fine with calling themselves Christians, but they see Jesus as sort of an add-on to their life. It's why Dr. Shigley chose on Monday to talk a little bit about pornography. It's because even though we're a Christian campus, it's an issue. It's why Dr. Bernius on Wednesday chose to talk about sexual purity. Because even though we're on a Christian campus, some of us add on to our lives things that aren't Christ-like. You know, we sang about Jesus being king of our life, and I've discovered it's easier to sing about Jesus being king than to actually let him be king. It's easy to identify as followers of Christ, but not to actually follow. It's easy to compartmentalize and worship God passionately while the band is playing, but to give in to temptation when we choose to and be okay with it. The problem is, Playing around with sin has its consequences. First of all, we miss out on the best of God's plan for us. We, we really do. We just keep falling short of his smile. We lose spiritual intimacy with him. The psalmist write, if, writes, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. There'd be this block between us. Secondly, we get caught in a web of spiritual junk. We, we do our own thing when we do our own thing because we want to be free. We don't want people telling us what to do. We, we, we want to be free from the rules. But what we discover is when we choose freedom that way, it's exciting for just this long. And then the excitement wanes and we do it again. And this time we do a little bit more. And then the next time we do it a little bit more. And the next time we do a little bit more. Until we find that we have played around with sin long enough that we are caught in it. And we are captured from it. And we can't seem to be free of that behavior. Because we develop a habit of sin. 
The Apostle Paul says, whatever you offer yourselves to, whatever you offer the parts of your body to, whether it's righteousness or sin, you become a slave to that. Dr. Shigley on Monday said, every decision you make is either building or eroding your character. So what do we do? What kind of decisions should we make? Now, in the scripture we read, the Apostle Paul has a suggestion. But before we look at what he says, can I tell you about a fashion mistake I almost made? I was standing on the front row of church on a given Sunday, and I was looking up at our worship leader at my lifetime church, and Steve is an iwoo grad, and he's good-looking, mid-late tw- mid 20s at the time, pretty cool, carries off the look of worship leader really well. And, and by the way, if you don't know the look of worship leader, it's, uh, at that time it was Tom's in skinny jeans, and he had a Where's Waldo striped t-shirt on and a sweater and lots of gel in his hair. And I'm sitting there thinking, I need to look cooler than I do. And so I thought, and I couldn't do the gel stuff because that just wouldn't help. You know, gel up this part right here or something. So I decided I was going to order myself a pair of Toms. And I did online. And they came and I opened them eagerly and put them on my feet. And quite honestly, they just looked stupid. And I don't know whether it was because they were too small or whether because 60-something-year-old men shouldn't wear toms. But I looked down at them and I thought, I'm not going to wear these. And then I had a problem because every time you buy a pair of toms, they give an under, a child in a third-world country uh, a pair of shoes. And I thought, if these return them, if I return to these, do they go repossess the shoes from some little kid? <laughs> I felt horrible. I don't know. I just know I didn't wear them. But then I thought, I can still look better than I do. And I was wearing dad jeans. You know, the relaxed fit, big leg jeans. So I went to the store and got thin cut jeans. These are thin cut jeans. And they look better than the dad jeans. But I was intrigued by skinny jeans. And I thought, I wonder what I would look like in skinny jeans. So I got some skinny jeans and went back to the dressing room and... You got three problems. First of all, you got to get them on. And, and it wasn't going well, but I finally got them on. And then the second problem is you, they have a mirror in the fitting room. And I go, I just look stupid. <laughs> Trying way too hard. Then the third problem kicked in. I had to get them off. It was a challenge to get them off. In fact, I thought I might have to cut them off, and that would mean I'd have to buy them. But to buy them, I would, couldn't get them off, and I had to put my rump up on the target line, you know, the, the scanner at Target, and I didn't want to do that. So I just kept working until I got them off and stuck with the thin-cut jeans. I mean, there are some things that 60-something-year-old men just should not wear. You know, Paul says there's some stuff we shouldn't wear either. As you looked at the scripture, he says, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off or put off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, 
which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. In verse 22, Paul says to throw off your former way of life. That part of you that decided you could do whatever it is you wanted to do. And the word picture he uses is actually to take a garment off. To take something off and throw it away. I went to Goodwill the other day and bought a sports jacket. This is where I wish we had cameras because for those of you in the back, this does not quite fit. My ba- fingers barely stick out from the end of it. It's way too long, almost down to my knees. It, um, if I button it, I have room for plenty of ice cream and Big Macs. <laughs> it is not making the fashion statement I want to make. Paul says... When you live like the Gentiles do in the darkness and futility of their thinking and chasing stuff that they think will just satisfy even though it's not godly, it's like you're dressing up in something that God didn't design you to wear, that God didn't design you to discover satisfaction from. And he says, as he writes to Christians, take this off. Just take it off. This is a behavior. Take it off. Put it away. And, and then, he says, then he says, put on something else. Put on something designed for you. A, a, a type of clothing that God says, this fits you. This is, this is what you're supposed to look like. Put off the old sinful stuff. And put on behavior by behavior by behavior the stuff of righteousness and godliness. Problem with some of us is that we put on this clothing we call Christ-like, and I say, I want to be looking good for Jesus. But we don't really throw the old jacket away. And every once in a while, we think we can get away with putting it on over the Christ stuff and go, I'm looking good today. (laughs) And in reality, I'm just looking stupid. Doesn't work. Not designed this way. And you can't say, well, I'll only put it on a little bit. Maybe nobody will notice. Well, first of all, God does. And secondly, you do. And other people know too. And Paul says, take it off. Throw it away. And put on this new stuff. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And some of you say, I do that. I've done it again and again. But temptation is strong and it's repeated. And what do I do? And Maybe you're about ready to give up. Remember what Dr. Shigley said? Every decision you make is either building or eroding your character. And if you've made decisions through the years that have eroded your character, you don't just go like that and suddenly have complete whole character again. You have to build and build and build and build. And God will help you, but you have to do the building one decision at a time. But there's more hope than just saying, I'm going to suck it up and do better. I read verse 22 about throwing off the old self. And I read verse 24 about putting on 
new behaviors. But we, we skipped over verse 23. I mean, we read it, but we haven't talked about it. It says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let God do something on the inside of you. We're doing what we can do. Say no to temptations and yes to godly actions. We're taking care of the outside. Those are the decisions we can make. And we're saying, God, make something new in me. And, and I don't know how all the theology works on this, but when the inside is being made new by God, and when on the outside you conform yourself more and more to the image of God, eventually, if you keep at it long enough, they meet and you're one whole person. Honoring Christ. But you notice I used the word eventually. It's not just a matter of making a decision at an altar sometime. It's day after day after day after day doing the right things and saying the right things. And some of you say that's the problem. Temptation's just too strong. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has come upon you that's too great for you to handle. And that with every temptation, God will provide a way out. The way I like to think about that is that every temptation has an exit sign connected to it. Part of the problem with temptation when it comes is we kind of like the feelings that temptation begin to stir up in us. Sounds good. The valuation network goes, hey, how about that? And we begin to look around it and sniff around it and think around it and do whatever around it. Until we play with it long enough that it's only one small step into sin. And there is a way out. But we have to be willing to take it. Remember we talked about these two parts of the brain? The evaluation network and the cognitive control region. The tempter works hard on the evaluation network. Hey, this looks good. This is fun. This will be wonderful. It's, it's the thing that says, why don't you do this right now? Later you can take care of the godly stuff. And it's the stuff that gets us dressed and ugly. The cognitive side is the thoughtful decision-making side. It's the side of obedience to God's word. And sometimes you make the choice, even though the feeling side of you says, I'm drawn this way. God says, obey me. It's like Paul saying, make a choice. Say no to the junk food of sin and say yes to the holy. We're not singing at the end of this chapel. We're not having one of those big come to the altar moments. Although if after chapel's over you want to come and pray, that's up to you. But right now, I'm wondering if you would do both me and yourself a favor and it's just a natural response to God. Would you just look in your own life for a second and ask yourself, is there any place in my life, any place at all, where if God would shine his light, he would say this should be different. A behavior, an attitude of practice, gossip, pornography, lust, cheating, going too far sexually, a lousy attitude, I don't know what it is. 
That's what's so great about the Holy Spirit, because he can point out your life right now, and you know exactly what it is. If there's anything, anything, remember your character is built one decision at a time. I'm wondering if you would just tell Jesus, God, I'm throwing that off, and I'm taking on righteousness. Would you forgive me for that, and would you go to work in my life? life. You say, how long will it take till it's better? I don't know. As long as it takes. Step by step. Day by day. Until it is. Completely. I love the book of Ephesians. We read out of it. In chapter 1, Paul has a prayer for them. And part of his prayer is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead would be at work in their lives. You ever feel too weak? Let me ask you, what's tougher than dead? Jesus was dead and God's power raised him to life. And the same power that raised Christ back to life is at work in your life. If you let him. If you'll let me, I'll pray for you. That this day, you'll make the decisions you need to to wear the right kind of stuff God wants for you and give him access to the inside of your life. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that you love us, that your plan for us is right. Thank you, Lord, that we have the honor of serving you. We acknowledge that sometimes we do it poorly. That if you were right there side by side with us that moment, if we realized that, that we would be embarrassed to do some of the things we do. We block out of our mind the fact that you're always with us. I would pray right now that all across this room, from the front row to the top row of the balcony, we might be responsive to the nudging of your spirit that says, here's a behavior that needs to change, an attitude that needs to change, a commitment that needs to change. Help us to be repentant, to say we're sorry, but more than not, more than just saying we're sorry, may we turn around and start doing it right and give you space to work in our lives. And now we acknowledge him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power that it is at work in us through Christ Jesus. May he receive glory and honor through our lives and every bit of our attitudes today and into eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Go make a difference.